Welcome to the Sanctum. Here we study the mysteries of Dungeon Crawl Classics and Appendix N. With your keepers of mysteries, Jen Brinkman, David Bainey, Bob Brinkman. Enter the Sanctum Socorro and be inspired. Welcome to the Sanctum Secorum podcast, where we plumb the depths of Appendix N, specifically as it pertains to the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game. This episode, we'll be reviewing a piece from an Appendix N author who listeners may already be familiar with from Episode 8, and we'll help you to serve this offering at your DCC RPG table. I'm Jen, with me tonight are David. Good evening, folks. And Bob. Good evening. <laughs> Always want to liven things up. Or dead. Fair point. So, our selection for this episode is Down to a Sunless Sea by Lynn Carter. Bob, take it away. Brant's life had been hard after the courts had sent him to the penal colony on Trivium Cronotus on Mars. Since working his way to freedom, he'd run guns to the high clan princes, sold them liquor and forbidden tobacco, and peddled narcotics to the soft, timid Earthsider clerks. He had stolen, he had cheated at cards... He had killed a man more than once. Now, fleeing from justice across the ancient dust oceans of Mars, he had no way of knowing that he was running towards the most fantastic adventure a man had ever lived, towards refuge more absolute than any man had ever dreamed of, by the banks of secret rivers in caverns yet unmeasured by man, on the shore of a sea the sun had never seen. Whoa. Awesome. Yeah, this was fun. I think so. It was actually probably one of my favorite reads so far that we've done. I don't know why, but I really wow. like it. Yeah. Cool. Well, I mean, I guess I shouldn't say that, but normally I'm not into the otherworldly sci-fi kind of things. I like my fantasy barbarian and hack and slash, and this was a totally different take. And I don't know. I think it was kind of cool. So you're more of a Kothar than a John <laughs> Cartar, is what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, I'm still feeding off the testosterone of Kothar from our last... Gotta say it right. Event. Kothar! Kothar! <laughs> but yeah, this is really cool. I mean, I, I dug it. Good pick. Yeah, I really love the story. Once I got past the main character's introduction to the women of the story, that <laughs> that part kind of brought me up short for a minute. I was like, ooh, Thomas Covenant, the unbeliever? <laughs> but once that little piece passed, and passed thankfully quickly and uneventfully, this was storytelling <laughs> more in the vein of Lee Brackett than Edgar Rice Burroughs, and I really dug that. With a Mars of the future, with everything had fallen into ruin... The atmosphere of ancient Mars was just, it was vivid. It felt real enough to picture in my head. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed it. I think it's probably one of my top three so far that we've done. The story elements towards the end were just a little peculiar when we got into the uh, Fae-like children and some of their extracurricular activities. Woo! Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. I won't delve too much into that, but overall, I could definitely see this being a shell for someone who's looking for maybe a a sandbox campaign of their own. I mean, you could dive right into this, and there's just so much DCC goodness, I think, that you could glean from this. But uh, the story, I think, was well told, and it was very fluid. 
I loved all the descriptives and the tech and the, the creatures that were in it. I think it was just a, a, a smashing success. Now, now, David, I have to tell you a little secret. Uh-oh. Now, granted, this dropped from being your favorite to, to being in your top three. And considering <laughs> we're 13 <laughs> shows in, I suppose that's not, that's not saying Let's a whole lot. Let's see how far you can drive it down in the next sentence, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> I do know that the one that made you want to hang yourself the most was The Life of Eben. Yeah. 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 Which was also by Lynn Carter. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, you know what? Same he must off. have been going through a really hard time when he was before mentioned. Because, well, very, uh, very different stories. Very yeah. different stories. Yeah, the, the narrative is definitely more lowbrow on this one, and more so than Vance. Well, would you guys say that the, those two stories are written in two totally different styles? Because it seemed like that to me. They are most certainly written in very different styles. The writing for this particular story is actually very often compared to the Edgar Rice Burroughs Mars stories. Yeah. Essentially, people going as far as saying he just lifted the creatures from the John Carter Barsoom and renamed them since he doesn't really describe them a whole lot. Yeah. Right. He avoids giving precise descriptions of the creatures and the artifacts here, but it was really interesting because the minutia of adventuring is detailed. Yeah. Yes, it is. I also appreciate that this is a one-shot, part of a sequence, but not a series, so it was easy to pick up and read on its own without having read the rest of them. Yeah. Yeah, the giant hex crawl and the slow chase scene along the dried-up ocean floor really built up tension to keep me hooked, and then they hit this huge barricade, and I gotta say, the time it took to deal with the metal door had me sweating. Oh, right? <laughs> come I was on, guys, come on! <laughs> and then after stating, safety in numbers... They split the party. <laughs> like you do. Seriously? Yeah. <laughs> the ending was a perfect analog to the Garden of Eden. And I, I gotta say, as an anthropology major, I found it very intriguing that the natives were referred to as wolves from the Earthlings' points of view. But I found it unsettling that the doctor's field was never really nailed down because they found a doctor, you know, picked him yeah. up, joined the party. And yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Dave. Those kids really creep me out. <laughs> Really, really, really creep me out. Yeah. As the entire story goes, it's sort of the perfect adventure arc. He's crossing the desert on his own. There's a huge storm rolling in. He finds this mysterious ruined city to take shelter in. And there's two native tribeswomen staked out who have been left to die in the storm. Right there, that opening has a lot of impact on the way the entire story is going to go. And then they meet up with other people and they join them, but they don't trust each other. And then, well, turns out there was reason for that. Now they're being pursued across the planet by people who want them dead. Woohoo! Yeah. Yet the added bonus is the alliance that's formed toward the end of the book. Yes. Well, and there's just, oh, there's so many wonderful details in this thing. I actually find myself hesitant to give all of them away. This is one that I really think people will enjoy reading, and our fellow DCC aficionados will understand when I say you can just pick this thing up and run it. Oh, yeah. As an adventure, page by page. Definitely. Yeah, you really could. And there's a lot of great things in there to stat. I mean, without giving everything away, there's creatures like the loper that they use for the mount, the sand cat. That wasn't really a cat. That was weird. Uh, yeah, they called it a sand cat because it was kind of cat-like, but it was reptilian. Well, a lot of the creatures on yeah, Mars, as they them describe were. them. Yeah, I think almost everything was reptilian-like, it seemed like, anyway. Which makes sense on a very hot planet. Yeah. Yeah, good point. Okay. There was the Martian flyers that were like giant dragonflies, those translucent or transparent aerial lances and the glimmering daggers. The Martians, 
you could easily make classes out of both the ancient and the modern or corrupted tribal Martians. Interesting description. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. The current Martians are what's left of what was once a great and powerful culture. I mean, this is written in Mars after the fall. Yes, there's the analog to the Garden of Eden, but the end is the analog of being cast out of the Garden of Eden, much like the entire story is set in a world after the destruction of the Garden of Eden. Okay. Yeah. There's Nyotha and the, the Festival of Dreams, which would be kind of fun, I think, to add to any game. Uh, just throw on a lava lamp and get things going <laughs> and get that psychedelic vibe to the table. Well, yeah. you know, we always talk about party like it's 1974. Well, you know, there was a yeah. lot of psychedelia in 1974. And uh, this story, you could certainly use a lot of that stuff. I would not want to use a black light in that area. I'm sorry. <laughs> not with... No. No. <laughs> There's just a little too much hedonism going on. There towards the end, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, David? What would you be looking to stat? Lots of awesome technology I thought was really cool. Even, like, some of the basic stuff. You know, a lot of the things in this story sparked me to a different take on things that you... I think you'd normally just put in an adventure and think of them as, like, mundane necessities, like food and, and things that you use to cook food and when you're you're taking watch, things like that. There were things, technology, I think, in the story, like the... What they, the accumulators, power accumulators that they use? What was the energy? Uh, yeah, they were almost like pressure cookers, but they ran on a fuel cell or something. Yeah, like some liquid, clear fire, or liquid, clear liquid. Yeah. But even from the things that they cooked on, the plant life that they did find, I can't remember what the plant that they called that they would actually get water from and use that to cook with and then actually feed the remains of that to the uh, lopers as food. I mean, things oh, like yeah. that, they don't necessarily play a huge role in the game. But, but they add to the flavor. Exactly. You could take this story and find things in it, and even if you didn't use the exact items in the story, I think it kind of inspires you to maybe be a little different with some of the mundane things in your campaign, whether it be DCC or you know sci-fi or apocalypse kind of setting. But um, there were a lot of guns I thought were really cool. The laser gun I thought was really neat that he could adjust the beam size. You know, I think he attacked a uh, rock dragon in uh, one of the scenes, which was pretty cool. And I think he used his laser pistol on like the tiniest setting and still ended up blowing his head off, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, the Fae-like children towards the end, even though I think they had some questionable behavior, um, which we won't uh, delve too much into. It was the 70s. <laughs> Way ahead of his time, I'd say. But uh, the psychic abilities that they demonstrated, I think that if you wanted to introduce some sort of psychic rules for your game, you could kind of dabble a little bit. And this was a perfect example, I think, of taking a few cool powers and maybe getting your feet wet in the uh, psychic realm. The ocean, I thought, was really, really cool. There's a part of the book, trying not to get too deep into it, but... Um, <laughs> deep beneath the surface there is sort of an ocean and again that's something i've never thought about the ocean was basically milky in the, it's the way it looked right if i'm not mistaken mm -hmm. and it was i guess really strong with mineral content so some of the creatures like the slugs kind of reminded me of the dolphins instead of you're seeing slugs just kind of make their little salty wake i guess but i thought it was kind of a neat twist on an ocean all these things to me what i pulled away from it is the next time i do something for homebrew i may take some of these normal elements and just kind of give them an alien like uh, skin on them since there's actually an explanation for why there would be water down here yeah yeah i mean let's face it all of these are an alien twist because 
the story is set on Mars. If your characters are just going through you know, an underground cavern, they've just killed a band of orcs, and they run into this, it's more of a fantastical twist because it's not on Mars. Yeah. Nobody's going to think twice that these are science fiction elements because when this was written, the line between the two tended to be very thin. Yeah. That's true, yeah. What about you, Jan? What kind of things did you... uh... I found the surgical modifications to be really fascinating. Those were done on the outworlders, the earthlings, basically, so that they could breathe the air without a respirator. And the the Nioflex suits were kind of fun. Yeah. Of all of the characters, I would want to stat up two on, the renegade priest. Mm -hmm. I actually have one of my best friends who is no longer in uh, South Carolina, is in Hawaii now, his name's... Which I, get, I was pronouncing it Twan, but of course, every time I saw that name, I thought about him when we were reading this. <laughs> Should send him a copy and say, hey, thought I did. I yeah. actually did. <laughs> Going back to everything being reptiles, they used small domesticated reptiles as hunting dogs and just called them hunters. Yep. Their power guns recharged themselves. That was a really interesting variation. Yeah. Isn't that what every character wants, too? No kidding. You still don't want to give your party a laser pistol that never runs out of charges. Yeah, but if you could explain how and why and then break a part of that, hey, maybe that's the next quest. And then it never stops exploding. Shh, giving it all away, man. Yeah. We could stat up the Timeless Ones as a deity collective. Huh. Ooh, yeah. The natives kept referring to. Yeah. And I think a ritual variation to spells or psionics or mental abilities could create the communal imagery that we saw during the Festival of Dreams. Yeah, that sounds good. And I just got to put this out there. Um, I would love to see Doug Kovacs do a variation of this cover, which incidentally is done by Ken W. Kelly. The cover is really awesome for this book. It is. It gives away a little bit, but... Well, so does the title. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, when you're talking about the hunters, all of the names, lopers, hunters, they're all very basic, but that also makes a lot of sense because they're translations from the Martian words. Okay. You know, in Martian, it might be 14 syllables and three glottal stops but in english it's just oh well the one that hunts we'll call them hunters so i thought it was kind of interesting because that little bit of blank slate gives you creative license if you're running it to actually have a name in common tongue but they might also encounter them being called by other names fair enough let's move to perhaps okay the mushroom forest made me think that you could possibly use a bowl full of tasty mushrooms and soak them in food coloring the night before. Uh, That'd be a lot of fun, uh, but the days after bathroom trips might be a little weird, so you uh, might hold off on that. Yikes! <laughs> you mentioned the Nioflex suits, which are pretty cool, and the Nioflex suits were basically used for the Earthsiders to keep warm in the environment, so that would be kind of cool. And I thought, I think they make some of those suits that are in like little pouches that fit in camping gear. Oh, yeah. So you could maybe doctor one of those up a little bit and use it as a prop if you uh, wanted to allow one of those to be found. You could always turn the heat up in your house or your apartment to about 90 degrees. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Speaking of South Carolina. (laughs) Exactly. It's not been too bad, though, so far. We're getting toy laser guns. You can find some pretty cool-looking guns. A lot of times, they obviously look like toys, but if you primered one of those up and then repainted it with, like, a silver dry brush and maybe gave it some funky wiring, I think you could come up with a cool artifact that the group could find. And, you know, when you go to try and figure out how to work it, uh, you could definitely have them, like, handling it and kind of showing you what they're doing. I also think that later on in the story, when they met the, I guess you'd call them the Martians, that they're kind of like the Fae children. Mm-hmm. They they didn't speak the same language initially, but 
Oh, yeah. The main character sort of began picking up on basic words and stuff. So you could actually uh, introduce a, an alien race that could communicate at first and then maybe actually have some fun with that, having characters maybe learn some basic words. Oh, that could be some fun roleplay. Yeah. Musically, for some reason, I kept going back to post-apocalypse stuff. You know, I guess it was just because the uh, landscape was just so desolate and foreboding. But a few things that, that I think would be kind of cool, uh, some of the Mad Max soundtracks, including Fury Road, is really good. Some of those tracks would really lend well to uh, your adventurers while they were, you know, out on this vast landscape. There was a movie, I don't know, if, have you ever seen Hardware? Either? Bob, hardware, hardware, that sounds familiar. I want to say it came out late 80s, but it's a pretty good little post-apocalyptic movie, but it had a very eclectic mix of songs, and some of those songs were just kind of, you're out on the tundra, or you're out in the desert all by yourself, that kind of feel to it. So the Hardware soundtrack, I kind of went back to that, and then uh, there's a side project of an industrial band called Frontline Assembly, and the side project is called Noise Unit, and... It's a much more ambient kind of sound. It's electronic, but again, it's just got that lonely kind of out there in the middle of nowhere feel to it. So that's kind of what I was coming up with for music. How about you, Jim? For me, I would go with absolute silence, except, <laughs> you know, wind and footsteps. Yeah, the that's actually scenes. good. Later, as they get to the floating city, I know there's sound effects out there for the creaking of ropes and timbers. Oh, yeah. I was focusing more on the prop side. They've got a dark purple sky while they're out on the surface, so you could use lighting effects or even string some cloth across the ceiling to darken everything up. Stock up on those scented candles from kids' Halloween party packs. You need gingerbread, popcorn, and apple cider. (laughs) <laughs> for the nice hedonistic areas. <laughs> when they're on the surface, you can use an old survey map for a hex crawl. Very true. Which is actually what they were going by. They had these things called micro viewers, so you could use an old viewfinder with discolored desert landscapes in there. Ooh, get an old viewmaster. Oh, that would be sweet. You can throw some canteens on the table, but don't let players drink more than a sip at a time when they're in the desert. <laughs> get a little bed of moss kind of color it blue and get some polished glass gems for the beach to the underground sea. For that, you could even use a bowl of water with like a luminescent algae or the, the phosphorescence. You know, kind of illustrate, hey, this is what the surface of the water looks like. The kids were using a very bizarre weapon that looked like a glass doorknob on a stick. They had kind of translucent staves all together. They ended with something that looked sort of like a doorknob, but the whole thing was that weird, clear stuff. Lynn Carter specifically said it looked like a glass doorknob. So <laughs> go get some antique glass doorknobs and paint the tips of them blue. You Woo-hoo! know? <laughs> You get any number of the foodstuffs for the mushroom flesh. They were describing it as like an applesauce sponge cake with honey. There was one that had the color and consistency of vanilla pudding, but tasted like tuna. You're making me hungry. Oh, yeah. Go find that tuna tree, man. (laughs) (laughs) If you wanted something a little simpler, you could go with the lime green sparkling wine and a ceramic goblet to really just bring the whole feel home. So... How about you, Bob? Thinking about the prop end of things, as they're traveling across the surface, once he picks up his extra companions and picks up the doctor, and they're looking at all of the fossils, you can buy all of those fake fossil kits for children where they're like partially coming out of clay or you dig them out of clay, and something like that could be really cool. That would be interesting. And then thinking of the music, whereas David went post-apocalyptic and Jen went... 
I really kind of felt that this sort of had that trippy 70s style psychedelic vibe. There's, uh, well, there was an artist out of Canada, Nash the Slash, and he did a lot of really cool electronica and psychedelic stuff. Songs of his like Wolf or Swing Shift, which kind of reminded me of what life on industrial Mars must have been like. And he had another song called Cyclone that I thought really kind of fit the entire genre as being set up by the story. There were a few other bands that are kind of the psychedelic space trippy music, like... Domo, Yuri Gagarin, named after the Russian cosmonaut, Space Slug, the Space Lords. All of it is really great stuff, and I think this story specifically lends a great opportunity to use music that has a wholly different feel than my standard game-inspired fare. It's not just... I, when, I'm doing, when I'm doing any writing, I'll be throwing on the Conan soundtrack or Beastmaster, and I love this stuff, but this story, I think, really screamed for music that was outside my norm. So interesting. We all read the same book and got completely different impressions of the atmosphere noises. Yeah. That's just because you're both wrong. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, go ahead and tell us what uh, existing DCC inspirations you think are out there so that we can correct you, Bob. <laughs> like how I did that? <laughs> yeah. Well, right off the bat, Sailors on the Starless Sea is immediately going to spring to mind. Yeah. You look at it... the cover, even. Yeah. Well, and for me... This story could easily be modified to be a bridge between Sailors on the Starless Sea and Purple Planet. Oh, easily. Maybe from one to the other, you yeah. know, vice versa, but... There's the big monster in the water, just like there's the big monster in the water. It's all... <laughs> in, yeah, I mean, there's... there's. You know, had we not talked to Harley Stroh, and he said, no, no, I didn't base this on anything I read. I based it on imagery. There's so many wonderful similarities yeah. between the two. I thought... The uh, descendants of the ancient Martians reminded me a little bit of the people of the pit. They were wholly enveloped in their beliefs. The belief systems themselves, of course, were drastically different. But as for the appearances, I had that feeling there. I was also reminded a bit of Tower of the Black Pearl with Tuan and his outlaws playing the roles of the pirates trying to find whatever reward Brant and his comrades are fleeing towards, especially you know, going down the tower and going down the stairs. The outlaws themselves were just kind of a fantastic group, this omnipresent threat, even when there's a truce, you don't really know if they're going to listen to their boss. There's great tension. It's good stuff. What about you, David? Well, you guys always blow this out of the water with your uh, suggestions. Uh, the only thing I came up with, uh, Elzman's Blood Drinking Box. Do you guys remember... <sighs> Uh, the part of the story where they first uh, got through the silver door and started making their way down. There were stairs, and then yeah. there were more stairs. More stairs. They actually had to rest, you know. And, 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 that, and then there yeah. were more stairs. Oh, yeah, my God, yeah. It kind of reminded me of that. And I also think that it's been a while since I ran the adventure, but I think that as they got lower down, I think it actually got hot and humid as well. So I immediately went back to Terry Olson's uh, Elzamans, which is a really great adventure. Some of the creatures that are down in the bowels of that adventure, I don't know, they kind of fit the theme a little bit. I'm right there with you on that one. Yeah. The little bat-like creatures. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even the hairless cats, even though there were no hairless cats in Mars, I have to bring up cats at least. They, they were point. hairless. They were hairless lizard cats. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Even though it's not out yet, the MCC, I think, would lend itself really well to the overall landscape and feel and this the overall need to try and survive. And even though MCC isn't out yet, there is going to be an MCC adventure in the Free RPG Day module from Goodman. 
Gasp! <gasps> so people will be able to, to play around with it a little bit, and I think we're going to see a similar explosion of creativity for MCC as we oh, have yeah. for DCC. So that's my input. How about you, Jan? I already mentioned you could run this book as an adventure almost page for page. Wouldn't you say this is probably one of the first books, maybe out of, I don't know, maybe there's a few more, but like you said, page for page, you could almost describe this as a complete adventure. I mean, the other stories that we've read, pieces and parts, I think you could pull and make, but this book, like you said, it was, it was almost like you're reading an adventure. And the entire thing. Okay, here's your next character. Yeah, okay, here's the next person in your party. (laughs) Yeah, your dialogue's a little bit different, but this is what really happens, and let's keep it moving. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I could see placing this in Metamorphosis Alpha or Mutant Crawl Classics, but... I so had to stop myself from just going on and on about M.A. when talking about this since we're a DCC podcast. (laughs) I appreciate the shout-out to Metamorphosis Alpha. To keep this in DCC, I could run this using Crawl Jammer, Crawling Under a Broken Moon... Oh, yeah. And even Black Sun Deathcrawl. Wow. They all pull off that desolate feel, and they all have ties to the Ancients. Yeah. And again, if playing this out, you bet. I would not let the players eat or drink more than a taste at a time until their characters are beyond those stairs. Here's and a bowl of M&Ms. You can have one. <laughs> That's awesome. And eight hours have gone by. You may have some water. <laughs> and a second M&M. <laughs> And you wonder why they never come back. And they're peanut M&Ms, so good luck. And then they can have all the mushroom delights they want. (laughs) I just grabbed a small list this time of other similarities. Dave, you already tackled Elzamon, and boy was I just glaring at Terry Olsen reading that entire part. (laughs) The Screaming Temple also has the gargantuan bats with riders, which reminded me a lot of the giant dragonflies. Yeah. One that doesn't seem to get a whole lot of play or mention in our communities is Against the Atomic Overlord. Yeah. It encourages making nice with the natives for various reasons. Another one was Treasure Vaults of Zadabad. You oh. arrive at an island via a ship of sorts. There's a hex crawl that follows, and you could meet residents of a former plague colony. Which it almost seemed like that's what these people were. They were so special, they locked themselves away. They were so isolated. Well, yeah. and the residents of a former plague colony also would be a very isolated group. Exactly. No, I, that's a really good comparison. Um, I like that. You also could run into some mutated plants on the island as well. For many of those same reasons, I'm listing Catastrophe Island because, well, (laughs) yeah. Different type of mushrooms. (laughs) uh, But you definitely lava lamp worthy. Among all the writing crew for it, yes. (laughs) My favorite little tidbit that I was able to dig up comes from The Age of Undying, which was written by Tim Callahan. It was actually part of... It was part of Myth Horde. Yeah. I think it was the most recent one. There's a new monster in here called the Ambulatory Soul Field, and I really think it could be the thing that was used to kill one of the characters toward the end. If I ran it straight from this book, it is definitely the effect I would use. Yeah, cool. well, noted, noted. It's hide book it's from perfect. Jen. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, with that said, that's going to bring us to our featured adventure for the show, which, if you haven't guessed by now, is Peril (laughs) on the Purple Planet by Harley Stroh himself. Yay! Harley! We miss you, Harley! So, for anybody who's been living under a rock for the past year and a half, (laughs) the Purple Planet is a place where tribes of man-beasts wage an endless war beneath a dying sun. The mighty death orms rule the wastes, Befouled winds whistle through ancient crypts, 
and forests of fungi flourish in the weirdling light, where ancient technologies offer life or a quick death. Bereft of patron, friend, or god, your survival depends on quick wits and a strong blade. Will you and your companions stand as conquerors atop this alien land, or will you fall beneath the blast of an ink-black death ray, just another corpse left to litter the wastes of the purple planet? I vote conqueror, not dead. I want to be a victim of a death ray. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You'll have better luck. <laughs> so, yeah, top of the list, the mushroom forest. Awesome. There's a fold-out flap on the adventure itself for the judge. It's got a numbered guide to him. Not all of them are honeycomb, sadly. <laughs> well, the mushroom forest, when I originally sat down and read this book in a waiting room, <laughs> the mushroom forests are what immediately made me think most of Purple Planet because of yeah. that imagery. And they're just towering. Yeah, what Doug Kovacs drew goes right along with what we saw when we read this. Exactly. Yeah, The uh, I think it's really cool that some of the mushrooms in uh, Purple Planet are, what, like 200, 250 feet tall? And then you've got the tiny ones. But even if you didn't run Purple Planet, there's so much material in here you could pull out for other ventures. The mushrooms, I don't know how many different types he has listed, but some of the effects of eating these mushrooms are so cool. <laughs> there are some fun ones. In the Purple Planet, uh, you do meet the Kith, one of the species of critters left on this planet of ancients. I really like the fact that, at least with a Kickstarter release, we got a critical chart specifically for the Kith, so they have their own crit. Uh, Purple Planet, God, every page is like, Purple Planet, Purple Planet! So it was hard for me to really focus on some of the other adventures that are out there, because like the Mushroom Forest in the book you know i mean it it's like you said it's, it's almost like harley read this book and ran with it and it's and wrote two adventures yeah a, a yeah. whole campaign you know i mean and, and <laughs> curse you stro <laughs> the kith in the purple planet reminded me a lot of twan and his outlaws you know they had kind of an honor system and uh, that, that really kind of reminded me of what we were reading so i think that was kind of cool the kith could definitely fit in with the story you know the native aliens of mars I think it struck me as kind of a combination of the Bedouins and the Native Americans. Yeah. And very honor-bound, but very nature-bound as well. And wasn't Tuan previously a prince of his little, uh, of his tribe yeah. or faction? Yeah, I believe he was. And you've got different factions of kith that you could come across, and as in the book... It's against custom to broach certain topics with certain residents, we'll yeah, say. there's things you just don't talk about in polite company, <laughs> or they'll stick a knife in your face. Gee, what yeah. were you imprisoned for? <laughs> yeah, no. I like how the kith in Purple Planet, I think in certain encounters, you have the options to either fight with them or observe, but if you do fight with a win inside, you're perfectly welcome to uh, lop off the ears of your victims and eat uh, strips of their flesh. I thought like that you do. Cool. <laughs> it's bonding. Yeah. <laughs> So another prop then would be strips of Beef jerky. Uh, like steak jerky. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. But yeah, you eat their flesh so that I think, ah, I can't remember. I know there was a reason why the kith eat the flesh and that's totally left my mind. But anyway. Well then, moving on. You've also run into long forgotten cities and technology. Some of the relics on the purple planet can include plasma torches, ray guns, and hover skiffs. And you need to find their power source and activate the proper sequence of runes or ancient text in order to use them. I just have to say, especially taking characters from a DCC, kind of a traditional fantasy setting, to the purple planet and encountering this sort of stuff is so old school gaming. Mm -hmm. It's like when Gary Gygax took his party of adventurers onto the Starship Warden. Yeah. 
or Expedition to the Barrier Peaks. There's just so many ways for you to deal with problem players by handing them items that they need to figure out how they work. And uh, always remember, don't tell them it's a ray gun if they've never seen it. Maybe it's a strange sort of boomerang with a finger holder. Maybe they will discover hole-in-head disease and die. Oh, God. Screw you, Bob. (laughs) Well... It's a very Metamorphosis Alpha MCC way to handle it. You, know, you don't understand what the object is. You need to try and figure it out. And if you fail, bad things can happen. So we also have a, a nice big hex crawl on the purple planet, if you so desire. And it's kind of a scavenger hunt of sorts. You're looking for very specific things in order to try to escape or at least try to get by while you're here. It's definitely an alien world. The atmosphere is breathable, but that dying sun could drain your stats, depending on how strenuous your activity is. Dust storms are a very real threat just as they are on Mars. They had those death worms, the waste worms, reminded me a lot of the rock dragons. Oh, most certainly. The worms really go after you if you end up finding any of these artifacts. The rock dragons will just go after you if you're there. And uh, one of the most interesting things about this module is that towards the end, there are specific instructions for the judge for when the party is split, if they're within sight of each other or if they're not. All of these different specifications of this is how things are supposed to go down. And uh, considering how quickly the party and the book split, you know, the minute the stairs were available, oh, one guy's going down by himself. Really? Really? Yeah, Yeah, I was actually kind of grateful they were the stairs that went on and on and on forever like Terry Olson's. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You actually did have to stop and camp on the steps. And while you could easily just take this book page by page and run it as an adventure, you could even more easily just call it the sunless sea on the purple planet, and you barely have to change anything. To run it for Purple Planet. To run it for Purple Planet, that's true. Once we get to the sea and the critters there, once we leave the mushroom forest, I I would say there'd be a little more work to make it parallel uh, the Starless Sea. Well, it's a little more work to make it parallel the Starless Sea if you want to link them, but if you just want to run this as a Purple Planet adventure, everything you need is in the book. Very true. And Except for maybe some stats, which may or may not be provided by a trio of people. <laughs> yeah, I know these schmucks, yeah. 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 <laughs> okay, both of you, really? <laughs> <laughs> okay, unless we have any more praise to lavish upon Mr. Stroh. I will say this, the material that's in the box set is just phenomenal, and I cannot recommend this enough to anybody who's looking for i guess just brain food for uh having an, an awesome like this campaign could go on for a year or two at least yep. so definitely guys <laughs> this is this is jam-packed you know if you're looking for something to invest in uh, don't hesitate on purple planet it is uh, top notch definitely um, they've also got three uh digest sized yeah. modules going with it now um got various authors working on the project and they're continuing to just keep it active so it's a really good setting and honestly there are a handful of other modules that you could take and put in that setting because Mm -hmm. there's very little you would have to do to tweak it you now have fodder (laughs) do you want to take us out david i would love to take us out so we've got some shout outs coming up um road crew shout outs bruce cunnington and lee nielsen and they're going to be at the uk games expo in birmingham uh that's going to be june 3rd through 5th and it's uk not alabama (laughs) (laughs) i should say at the the uk games expo in birmingham (laughs) 
uh, no, go see these guys if you're across the pond. I love both of them. And actually, uh, friend of the show, Simon Todd, is going to be at the UK oh, Games yeah. Expo as well. Simon very Todd, cool. who contributed some very nice Carnival of the Damned art, for those of you who are not aware of that out there. Um, numerous guests and uh, judges will be at North Texas RPG Con in Fort Worth, Texas, June 2nd through 5th, featuring none other than the illustrious Michael Curtis, the slightly deranged Joe Bittman. Slightly. Second that for Doug Kovacs. <laughs> Uh, Mark Bruner, who is quiet and deadly in his own way. James McGeorge, who I really don't need to say anything else about. Hopefully he Black won't make me. <laughs> hopefully he won't make me drink mezcal uh, this year. That was kind of scary. We, Jason we'll Hobbs, you. <laughs> <laughs> Hobbs, uh, Eric Hoffman, Jim Wampler, Edgar Johnson, and Ryan Moore, and of course the three of us will be there as well. So well, actually, as this is airing, we are here. <laughs> Yeah, come say hey. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, this is definitely one you guys don't want to miss. It's a, it's a fun con. It's very uh, similar in flavor to, I think, Gary, and then it's a small, but you have some really wonderful people there. Present company excluded, of course. But uh, yeah. Brendan LaSalle is going to be at Origins Game Fair in Columbus, Ohio, June 15th through 19th. And if you've never ran through a game with Brendan, let me tell you, it is an experience to be had. <laughs> Uh, that Buckle guy has up. he he channels in energy from another dimension. I don't know how this guy stays as hopped up as he does, but he's an awesome. He eats mushrooms guy. next to the sunless sea. <laughs> Clearly, uh, tuna jello will do that too. And does quite a, a fine disco dance, from what I hear. <laughs> he shakes his groove thing. Sorry, that was undignified. Uh, there will be a mind-blowing number of judges that will be spreading the DCC love at Gen Con Indy that will be August 4th through 7th. This is including a seminar with the creative team of Goodman Games on how Appendix N continues to inspire game design. This will be, I think, on schedule for Friday night at maybe 8 p.m., right? Sounds right. Um, that sounds right up our alley. Will we post possibly a link for this for folks who want to go directly to it? Most definitely. Quite possibly. Okay. It might get its own post. We'll throw that up there. So, uh, Gas, do you want to add anything to that before we... Yeah. Drop us a line at the hub at sanctum.media if you have anything coming up. You've got Road Crew Games convention that we might have missed on our radar. Also, uh, we'd love to see what you guys are creating based on the works we cover. Please submit anything that you think would be cool to us at the hub at Sanctum Media that's related to what we're doing. Or find us on the regular social media sites and uh, keep an eye out for our future topics. And we can include your material in future show companions. So uh, remember, if we ever do a printed compendium, we're definitely going to need some original art. I think we beg for that every show, don't we, Bob? <laughs> we, we beg for contributions. Please. We've got, and we've gotten some really good ones. Yeah, know. it's worked. Oh, yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh, I like to put the squeeze on Todd McGowan. Uh, he's, he's very easy to... <laughs> Make, make you feel guilty now. Nah, I love you, Todd. So send us some art, anything that you think would be cool. We'd love to see it, guys. Uh, we definitely want to know, and we definitely hope that we've inspired you. So thanks for listening to us tonight. And I think that's about all we've got, right, guys? Yeah, I Sounds think so. Sounds good. All right. Well, take care of yourselves and hope we see you guys at North Texas. Be inspired. You have been listening to the Sanctum Secorum Podcast. Join us again next time when the doors to the sanctum open for Conan, the Jewels of Gwalur.
The Sanctum Secorum Podcast has been a production of Sanctum Media. Copyright 2015.